You're listening to the Grow Your Own Food Podcast, a show dedicated to helping you grow fresh fruit, vegetables, and even grains in your own backyard. In every episode, you'll get growing tips, recipe inspiration, and more. Ready to get growing? Then let's jump in. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 24 of the Grow Your Own Food podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Smith, and today I'm going to be telling you all about soil amendments, describing a couple different kinds of soil amendments, what they do, and when you should be applying them. I'll give you a quick hint. It's mid-fall, and you should be applying them right now. So we're going to be talking about all of that today, but first, a word from our sponsor. So if you haven't caught on yet, I am a huge nerd, and I love all of the science that goes behind soil health, the soil food web, and I know it can be kind of overwhelming if you're not really into all the science. So in today's episode, I'm going to be kind of covering the basics of soil amendments. Now, in general, there are a few major concerns that soil amendments address. That is aeration, or the ability of roots to get oxygen. There's water retention, which is the ability of soil to release moisture to plants, kind of hold that water in until the plants need it. There's nutrient availability, which is loss or replenishment of the nutrients that the plants take up, or the nutrients that are kind of washed away by the rain and that sort of thing. And then there's soil pH, which is excessive acidity or alkalinity of soil. So soil amendments are typically used to address one of those four major things. To know whether any of those four things are a problem for you, you need to have your garden soil tested. So this is a really, really good follow-up to episode 22 on why and how to test your garden soil. A soil test is gonna tell you your soil pH, percentage of organic matter, and the amount of essential macronutrients in your soil. So a lot of things that you kind of need to know before you go messing with soil amendments and just kind of like dumping different things in the garden, which I don't recommend. You also need to know what kind of soil you have, which if you're not familiar with that, I would encourage you to go back and listen to episode four, which I so cleverly titled Talking Dirty. In that episode, we talk about the three main types of soil, and it kind of helps you understand and helps you identify whether you have clay soil, sandy soil, or loamy soil, which is kind of like the Goldilocks of soil and loamy soil is sort of what you want. Now, apart from what kind of soil you have, what kind of soil issues you have, I want to start with when to amend your soil. So right now, I am recording this episode, and it is late October. And it's the perfect time, once you're done with all your fall cleanup in your garden, to be applying your soil amendments. And the reasoning behind that is soil amendments generally need at least a few months to work their magic. So for all those different things like aeration, soil pH, nutrients, maybe not so much water retention, but definitely the other three things 
things. They take time for the soil amendments to kind of break down and really change the chemistry and the composition of the soil. So by applying your soil amendments in the fall, you give the soil that time to work with those amendments and kind of even out and come to sort of like a homeostasis and create a a nice solid baseline for those plants to grow up in in the spring. You can apply soil amendments in the spring. They're just not going to have as much time to take effect, so therefore they should be added as early as possible before planting. Two weeks prior to planting is is a bare minimum for many of them. In fact, if you have soil problems and you're any closer than two weeks to planting, I would just say forget it or maybe try applying a different kind of amendment or applying it in smaller doses because there are some things that in high doses can burn your plant's roots, especially if they're small seedlings. But all of that aside, what are the different types of soil amendments? And these tie back to those soil issues. So when we think of the types of soil amendments, there are ones that improve soil quality and soil quality is kind of tied in with the quality of aeration and water retention. There are soil amendments that alter soil chemistry, which is the acidity and the alkalinity, so the soil pH. And then there are soil amendments that improve soil fertility, which is also known as the soil nutrient content. Some amendments fall into more than one category, and we're going to talk about those. And that's great when they do, because it's like hitting two birds with one stone. But sometimes it can be a drawback, because it it will maybe address something that's not even an issue for you and it can be kind of like overkill. It all depends on your soil situation and again that's why it's important to have your soil tested. This is also if you didn't listen to episode 22 the perfect time of year to be doing that. So when we get down to different types of soil amendments the first type we're going to talk about is organic matter. Organic matter, when we talk about soil amendments, are going to be generally considered organic compost or aged composted manure. And the things that they do in terms of their strengths, they improve aeration, so they help break up heavy clay soil, they improve water retention, and they also provide nutrient content to the soil. What are their weaknesses? So organic matter, in terms of being a soil amendment, they're slow to break down. They need frequent reapplication. So just like any application of nutrient value to your soil, I mean, those plants are gonna use that up. So you're going to have to be replenishing your soil with organic matter on a fairly regular basis, more than once a year, honestly. Organic matter is good for all soil types. And the nice thing about it is that you can apply it more than just in the fall. So more than just right now, you can apply it in the spring, you can apply it in midsummer, right in the middle of growing season, and it's not something that's going to burn the roots of your plants. So when I talked about timing earlier, this is one of those exceptions where you don't really have to worry about it. But you do wanna go ahead and apply it before you plan on planting because like I said, it takes a while for it to take effect. It takes a while for it to break down. So those nutrients that are bound up in that organic matter aren't going to be immediately available to your seedlings if you're applying it in spring right before you plant your seedlings. The only issue that organic matter doesn't really help with when it comes to soil amendments is soil pH. Compost can either be acidic or alkaline, and unless it's very strongly one or the other, 
it's not going to remedy a soil pH imbalance. So the next soil amendment that's often used is called gypsum. It's spelled G-Y-P-S-U-M. It improves aeration, so the ability of roots to get oxygen, right? So it breaks down like especially heavy clay soil. Unfortunately, it's also quick to break down and leach away. So you end up having to apply it multiple times, especially if you have really heavy, stodgy, problematic clay soils. The best time to apply is fall right now. It's also known as calcium sulfate, and it's a naturally derived mineral. So it's not like you're a applying chemicals to your garden soil. It actually adds calcium to the soil and removes sodium, but it does need a few months to work and it needs to be reapplied on a yearly basis. On the bright side, all of that calcium attracts earthworms and the tunnels that the earthworms make also help improve the aeration of the soil. Next up is peat moss. Peat moss, you've probably seen it before actually. Sometimes people put it in planters with their potted plants. Its strengths are that it improves aeration and it increases acidity if needed. Its weaknesses are that it's not a sustainable resource. Even though it is a natural resource, it's not very sustainable, somewhat expensive, and also it increases acidity. So if you have soil that doesn't need its acidity increase, it might not be the best idea to use peat moss to try and improve your soil's aeration. So it's good for alkaline soil and clay soil. So if your soil is both of those two things, peat moss is a great option. The best time to apply is fall, but it can be applied in late winter or early spring. Again, you just want to make sure that you do it as soon as possible before planting, at least two weeks out, if not more like four weeks. It also helps with water retention because it can absorb like 20 times its weight in water. It's really crazy. And then it slowly releases it into the soil as well. But if you remember how I said it's not a sustainable resource, that's because peat bogs in places like Scotland take hundreds of years to develop. I mean, this is hundreds of years of decay and carbon rich materials that are kind of piling up and piling up and piling up that create this peat moss. Um, and so so it's it's not something that is, is sustainable at all. It is a non-renewable resource because it just takes way too much time for it to develop. And because of that, it can also get kind of pricey depending on how large your garden is if you want to use it as a soil amendment. So just kind of a double-edged sword there in a couple different ways that you should think about when it comes to amending your garden soil with peat moss. The next soil amendment is known as perlite, and you have probably seen this too. This stuff is the little white styrofoam-like bits that you see in potting soil. Its strengths are that it improves aeration, also that it doesn't break down. And that doesn't sound good, but I'm gonna explain why it doesn't break down. Its weaknesses are that it doesn't add any nutrients, and it honestly, it doesn't retain much water. It's really good for clay soil, and because it doesn't add any nutrients or chemicals or anything like that, it is one of those exceptions that can be applied any time of year. It's not organic. Well, I should say it's inorganic. It's not a chemical, but it's inorganic in that it's not made of living tissue. It's a naturally occurring volcanic glass that's superheated until it puffs up to several times its original size. So it's kind of like if you take a grain of rice, fry it, and it puffs up into a rice crispy. That's kind of what 
perlite is like. And when it's mixed with clay soil, it creates these pockets of air that help roots get more oxygen and give them more room to grow. And since it doesn't really break down, it can be an effective long-term soil amendment. And it's, it's also really nice because since it doesn't retain much water, it's great for lightening clay soil in that way too because clay soil already kind of has a tendency to hold on to a bunch of water. And unless conditions are really dry, that kind of soil does not need help holding on to much water. So perlite is honestly, it's a pretty great option. Another option for soil amendments and for sandy soils, so on the opposite end of the spectrum, is vermiculite. Its strengths are that it helps with water retention. It does not need to be reapplied. It's a lot like perlite in some ways, but it's it's at the opposite end of things. So it's good for sandy soil, like I said. And a lot like perlite, it is inorganic. It is soft and spongy, and it's created by heating mica up to a point that's super hot and making the mica puff up. So instead of volcanic glass, it's mica. And mica is a naturally occurring type of mineral in the earth, but it retains a lot of water. So this is how it's very different from perlite. It retains a ton of water actually and slowly releases it into the surrounding soil as the soil dries out. That's why it's great for sandy soil because sandy soil has a tendency for all of the moisture to just run right out of it, right? You can apply it any time of year, just like perlite, it doesn't break down. It also helps roots absorb several nutrients that are needed for healthy plants. And since it doesn't break down, it doesn't need to be reapplied. While you can use vermiculite to lighten soil, you should avoid using it with soils, like I said, that have a high amount of clay because the increased water retention will make the clay soil even soggier. Next up, we have granular sulfur. Granular sulfur is great for lowering soil pH. It's safe, it's inexpensive, and it's very effective. Unfortunately, it's also very slow acting. So that's its weakness. And that means that you are definitely going to want to apply it in fall as soon as you clear out your garden. It is not something that you want to do in spring right before you plant your plants because it takes months for granular sulfur to break down and benefit your soil. It's good for alkaline soil, so that's the type of soil that has a really high soil pH. Granular sulfur helps to lower soil pH, so it can make alkaline soil more neutral. And there are a lot of products, honestly, that can be used to acidify soil that's too alkaline, but granular sulfur is considered by many to be the best option because, like I said, it's really safe. It's actually one of the many micronutrients that plants need, sulfur is, and you don't need a lot of it to make a difference, which makes it, again, pretty inexpensive. Next up is aluminum sulfate. And aluminum sulfate, much like granular sulfate, also lowers soil pH, means it makes it more acidic. So if you have an alkaline soil, aluminum sulfate will help bring that pH level down to a more neutral level. Unfortunately, you need a lot of it per square foot and it can negatively affect other soil nutrients. It can also build to toxic levels. So whereas granular sulfur kind of can be used inexpensively, you don't need a ton of it to make a big difference and it's really safe. Aluminum sulfate, not so much. So you have to be careful, make sure you read the packaging instructions really, really closely and only apply as much as needed to the square footage of garden garden soil that you have. And the best time to apply it 
would be fall, but it can be applied in the spring. Again, just as long as you are applying it well before you plan to plant your spring transplants. And I'm sorry, I feel like this episode is getting kind of long, but honestly, there are a lot of soil amendments out there. So I'm going to cover as many as I can in the next few minutes. Iron sulfate acidifies soil also, like granular sulfur and aluminum sulfate, so it lowers the pH of alkaline soil. You also, like aluminum sulfate, need a lot of it per square foot, and also like aluminum sulfate can be applied in the spring, but it's kind of best for it to be applied in fall. It acts about three to four weeks faster, though, than granular sulfur, so if you happen to find out that you have a soil pH issue, that your pH is too high and it needs to be brought down, and you need something that's a little bit more faster acting than granular sulfur, then iron sulfate can be a good choice. But you need about six times more iron sulfate as you would granular sulfur, unfortunately. So again, it can get a little expensive. But since iron is an essential micronutrient for plants, Iron sulfate is a little bit safer than aluminum sulfate. You don't have to worry about it as much in terms of it building up to toxic levels. So you can use it in your vegetable garden. Too much of it, while it won't be toxic for the soil, it can harm the plants and burn the plant's roots. Next up, ammonium sulfate, also good for alkaline soil, also lowers the soil pH, and it's good for nutrient content, which pretty much any kind of soil needs. Again though, with ammonium sulfate, honestly with any sulfate product, you're going to need a lot of it per square foot over a long period of time. It can be applied in fall, it can be applied in spring, but it's best applied like all the other sulfate soil amendments in the fall. It's faster at acidifying soil than granular sulfur, but it has a key positive feature that none of these other sulfate products do. When exposed to water, the ammonia ion and ammonium sulfate separates to form the acid that lowers the soil pH and leaves a nitrogen particle free to be used by the surrounding plants. So if you listen to a few episodes ago, that my episode called N is for Nitrogen, episode 21, then you know that plants need a lot of nitrogen to do well. And so that ammonium sulfate kind of frees up all those nitrogen particles and they're just kind of sitting around in the soil, got nothing better to do. So the plant's roots can be like, hey, why don't you come help me out? There's honestly not really a downside to ammonium sulfate as long as you don't over apply it or use it on already slightly acidic soil because it will make your soil too acidic at that point. A really, really great soil amendment that is organic, that is natural, and can be applied any time of year. It's fast acting, it adds nutrients. You're like, what is it already? Is vinegar. Now, the downside to using vinegar to acidify your alkaline soil is that it can burn roots if it's not diluted well enough. So you wanna make sure that you're mixing one cup of vinegar to one gallon of water. So you wanna make sure it is nice and diluted. I love using vinegar to help acidify soil because I love organic solutions to garden issues. 
And honestly, I really wanted to make sure that when I talked about soil amendments, I included this as one of them because I know a lot of people think about this the same as me. If they're going to go to the trouble of growing their own food, they, they want to do it organically. Vinegar works really great for watering the soil around blueberry bushes or other fruits and vegetables that like slightly acidic soil like potatoes. Also, hydrangea bushes like acidic soil. So if you have blue hydrangeas, they need acidic soil in order to maintain that blue color. So using vinegar diluted in water is a great way to keep that soil acidic. I would say that it's best to use vinegar that's been made organically because distilled white vinegar at the grocery store is very, very highly acidic. It's very strong. And a solution that's too acidic can burn the roots of plants. I like to use apple cider vinegar made from my own apple scraps. I talked about in my last episode how to use things you know, in the kitchen, like a second life of food to help reduce food waste. That is something that you can do. I have information on my blog, bnbasil.com, on how to make your own apple cider vinegar out of apple scraps. Um, The nice thing about apple cider vinegar too is that it contains small amount of sodium, phosphorus, potassium, calcium, iron, and magnesium, all macro or micronutrients that plants need. So it's kind of like a nutrient buffet for your plants in addition to it being organic. Really, really great for lowering soil pH. Now, I have talked a ton about soil amendments to lower soil pH. And all of you with acidic soil that need to raise your soil pH, you're like, what the heck? When is she going to get to stuff that helps me out? I gotcha. Lime. Not the lime, not the citrus fruit. Otherwise known as agricultural lime, It's a soil amendment made from crushed limestone or chalk. It increases soil pH, but it is very, very slow acting. So the best time to apply it is going to be fall. As soon as your garden has been put to bed, all the plants have been ripped out, you're done cleaning everything up, you're going to want to apply lime. Its main ingredient is calcium carbonate, which acts as a source of calcium for plants, and that is a micronutrient that they need. So again, you want to apply it in fall because the rain and the snow throughout the fall and winter are going to help the lime break down and allow it to act on the soil's pH and get it to a more neutral place before you plant your spring seedlings. Another soil amendment that you can use to raise your soil pH if you have acidic soil is wood ash. And this is another great organic solution to soil pH problems. And it also adds a few nutrients to your soil, mostly potassium, which is a soil macronutrient. Plants need a lot of potassium. It's one of the three big nutrients that plants need in addition to nitrogen and phosphorus. Wood ash is also very fast acting. Unfortunately, it can also burn your roots. So you want to apply it in fall or spring. If you do apply it in spring, definitely want to make sure that you apply it at least two weeks before planting. And you'll want to make sure that you follow guidance for how much wood ash to apply per square foot of your soil. Make sure also that your wood ash is very well mixed in with the soil and there's no big lumps of it. So like if you clean out your fireplace, right, and you have, you know, ash, but then you also have 
have chunks of wood ash that are, you know, more solid pieces of ash, like lumps of wood, make sure that you break those down. Because if you don't, those lumps of ash will end up creating a highly concentrated area of high pH that's toxic and can burn the roots and even kill your plants, I'm sorry to say. So I would definitely, again, make sure that you apply wood ash, even though it's organic, well before you're going to plant your spring seedlings. Last, but definitely not least, is baking soda. Yes, that stuff that you put in your fridge to absorb all of the smells. Baking soda is great because it's really inexpensive, it's fast acting, and unlike a lot of the other things that can be used to raise your soil pH if you have acidic soil, it's gentle. Honestly, it doesn't have any weaknesses, it can be used any time of year. It's highly reactive with water. That's what makes it work incredibly fast. So it's going to seep down into the soil. It's really great to, rather than, you know, don't just take a box of baking soda and sprinkle it around your garden. I would mix a tablespoon of baking soda to a gallon of water to dilute it. And you can go ahead and water your garden soil with that mixture of baking soda in water. Honestly, it's so fast acting, you might even see a difference in your soil pH in as little as 24 hours. So, ugh, like I said, I know that that is a ton of information. If you need any of this repeated, if you are better at absorbing information, if you read it after you've listened to it, I have a whole post about this on my blog at beeandbasil.com. Just type soil amendments into the search bar and that post should pop right up. I know it's a lot to absorb, pun maybe a little bit intended as a soil amendment joke, sorry not sorry, but I hope this has kind of like helped you understand a little bit more about what you can do to fix your soil issues because not everybody has the ability to haul in truckloads of dirt that have the perfect level of nutrients or soil pH or you know organic matter. Not everybody has the ability to build a giant raised bed garden in their backyard. Sometimes you gotta work with what you've been given. And soil amendments are a really great way to help you do that. If you have questions, please feel free to leave a voice review, a question on my Anchor website. So that's anchor.fm slash growyourownfood. Thank you so very much for listening, for hanging in. I know that this was a long one and there's a lot of science there, but I think it's going to be really helpful in the end. And I will see you guys in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Grow Your Own Food podcast. Visit beeandbasil.com for helpful how-to articles, images, and recipes.